You know, a lot of people call me Stephen, people call me Steve, people call me lots of things, but very few people call me daddy. And there's a relationship there. There's covenant between me and them. There's blood between me and them. It means that they're mine and I'm theirs. If they need me, I'm there. They don't walk, sit, do anything alone if I'm there. Because I'm there with them. They belong to me. There's covenant there. Covenant means that your trouble's my trouble. Your victory's my victory. Your pain's my pain. Your issue's my issue. That's what covenant means. Your, your battle is my battle and your life is tied to mine for better or worse. That's what covenant means. Amen. I remember quite a few years ago now, about 11 years ago, Kelly was pregnant with Caleb and we only had Abby at the time. And so bringing another baby into the house was going to require some rooms moving around. We had three bedrooms and one of them had just a bunch of my stuff in it and it was going to become Caleb's room. So I had to move everything out of there and take a storage room and kind of convert it into a room that I could actually use for all of that stuff. And it was a storage room. The people who lived there before us made it into a storage room, kind of. They put up some shelves. I guess you could call them that. And they did it about like I would have done it if I had you know, been foolish enough to do it by myself. And so I'm trying to undo all of that. And it was a lot of work. And I was the only one doing it. And if you ever saw me doing something like that, you wouldn't say, hey, next time I work on the house, I'm going to invite Stephen. You might see me working hard, but you're going to I don't really, Stephen, this just isn't really what you're good at. And I would agree with that. I would get really tired. And I remember being back there and it's, in the, it's on the back end of the house. And uh, so it was hot in there. And I was working, you know, trying to get it ready to paint and put, put some carpet down. And I was just getting tired. And I, so I sat down. There was a lot of junk in there. So it was just an ice chest sitting on the floor. And so I sit down on that and I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm making progress. So I'm starting to feel good about myself. And when you're making progress on a project, you start to feel good. And I start to think about this little boy who I've yet to meet. And I say, well, fella, you don't know how good you've got it. You got this grown man in here working, sweating, wearing himself out just so you can have a place to come home to. And you haven't breathed a breath yet. You hadn't opened your eyes on this side of the world yet. You just don't know how good you have it. And again, I'm starting to feel myself a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit doing this for him. I don't even know at this point if he's going to like me. Right. He's going to want to be a part of this family, but I'm doing it anyway. And so, again, I'm starting to feel a little good about myself. And then all of a sudden, just like uh, lightning, you know, into my mind was the the words of the Savior when he said, who among you, if your child asks you for a fish, would give them a snake. Right. Or if they asked for an egg, would give them a scorpion, I think. And he's like, of course, nobody. And then he said, if you being evil and sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those that ask Him? And then once Paul says, we'll give the Holy Spirit, what better thing could we ask for than the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And then I just, it just broke me. Because I was like, look at what I'm doing for this little boy that hadn't even been born yet, that I already love. And then my love for him, which was already great. God's just reminding me that's that's good. It's good that you feel that way. 
it's not even close to how much I love you. Not even close. He said, you being sinful are loving him, me, a holy, righteous, omnipotent, all-powerful God, love you so much more than you can even imagine. So that was just a blessing to me to be reminded of the covenant relationship that we have with our heavenly father. Like I said, it just, I was like, well, here I was feeling good about myself and now I'm feeling good about him and, and, and what he's done. So it's Father's Day. We may not all be fathers, obviously a lot of ladies in the room, uh, but we've all had one. Everybody has one. You've had one, whether good, bad, ugly, if you had them for a long time, if you had them for a short time, if they were a covenant keeper or a covenant breaker, you had one. And what we know is that however that went, we have one who is better and who loves us more. One who chose to enter into covenant with us through Jesus Christ. And as Christians, as children of God, he's our father. We grow up into the image of the one that we were born after. Right. Just like your kids generally favor their parents. They're growing up into the image physically, even emotionally, personality wise. You see the same things pop up. You grow into the image of the one you were born after. And we've been born again into the family of God and, and designed to image him to his creation, to others. So even these children, we get to show them what God's love looks like, give them a physical, tangible image of what God looks like before they build up enough faith where they can see him. So they can learn what love looks like, learn what faithfulness and goodness and righteousness looks like. And then as they grow older, they start to realize, wait a second. This is just like him. Amen. He empowers us to go about and image him to others. And the scripture says they'll see your good works and glorify who? Your father in heaven. They'll see your good works empowered by him because people aren't doing a lot of good works just on their own. And when they are, you can tell the difference. It said they'll see your good works and they'll glorify your father in heaven. And that is the end. We are the means to that end where we shine his light to the world. They see it. No, it's not just us. And they glorify him. Amen. Truly happy Father's Day. It is so good to be together. If you have your Bibles, let's open those to the book of Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. We're continuing our series in the book of Luke, walking through that a little bit at a time. It's been such a blessing. We're going to be in Luke 36. I'm going to read uh, the section here, a few verses, and then I want to pray over the word as, as we receive it. So there in Luke 7. Verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. 
Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. He said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Let's pray over the word. Father, thank you for your word. Open our eyes to the wonders of it today. God, forgive us of our sin as we approach you. I thank you that you'll cleanse us of all unrighteousness and teach us, train us. Let us learn more about you, your character, your will and your way today. And I thank you that we'll be encouraged by having been in your word. In Jesus name. Amen. So here in Luke, we'll set up the uh, situation again that, that we've just read. Jesus has been invited to a dinner party by one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders of the day to come to his house to eat. His name was Simon. And it says Jesus re reclined at the table. Remember, they would kind of it, it was on the floor. So it, it wasn't like we would picture sitting in a chair, you know, lean back. He's almost like a, you know, a child gets on the floor to watch TV and they're sitting kind of like this or kind of laying over on their arm with their feet out behind them. That's about what it would look like. And it says a woman from the city, an immoral woman, likely a professional sinner, uh, came and knelt behind him. Now, if you've ever read this before, you might have pictured it differently. I'd always pictured it differently. You know, you picture Jesus sitting in a chair on a bench and she comes, she's down at his feet. But actually she was, it says here, behind him. Again, he's reclined, his feet are out behind him. So she's behind from that. And that wasn't unusual if you had a dinner party to have invited guests that would sit at the table and eat, but have the house open where other people could come in and, and sit along the walls or sit in the floor behind them to listen in on the conversation, right? Especially when groups like this would gather together because they may be talking about, uh, you know, the things of God. They may be talking about scripture and we know what kind of interesting Questions and conversations can come up about that. And so she has come in and she's uh, knelt behind him at his feet. And it says she heard that he was there. She got her nice jar of perfume and she came and she's sitting behind him and she's just crying. She just can't stop crying. Her tears are just covering his feet. She's crying and weeping like not just, you know, a little. But I mean, she's doing some heavy crying and it says that her tears fell on his feet and then her hair, she took it. So her hair was either already down or she took it down, which was interesting thing to do. 
at that time. And she began to, to wipe the tears off of his feet. And then it says she even kissed his feet and then she took the perfume that she had and she anointed his feet with it. And then the Pharisee is sitting there and he's watching this and he invited Jesus to his house. We don't know what his reason was for inviting Jesus to his house. Maybe he's hearing the message. Maybe his heart's being stirred a little bit. Maybe it was just completely evil intent. We don't know, but he's watching this and he says, hmm, word's been going around that this man is a prophet. Well, if he was a prophet, he would know that who this woman is that's touching him. This woman's unclean. This woman is a sinner. It says she was an immoral woman of the city. Again, probably professionally immoral just based on the language used. And he says, if this guy really knew what was going on, he must not be a prophet or he would know who this lady was touching him and he would tell her to stop. Because remember, and we've talked about this, there's been several instances where the people assumed that because Jesus touched something that they deemed unclean, that he would become dirty because that's what they were so conditioned to. If you touch something that's unclean, you become unclean. But when Jesus shows up, he's touching unclean things. And instead of him getting dirty, they're getting clean. He's touching dead people. And instead of him becoming unclean, the dead people stop being dead. He's touching lepers. And instead of him becoming unclean, the leper becomes clean. So they haven't caught on to this fact yet, but he, he's thinking this in his own mind. And then Jesus, another instance of him getting in people says, he said, he answered the man's thought. Just like he did with me when I was sitting there on the ice chest thinking, well, I did a good job. He answered my thought in that situation. He answered the man's thought. He said, Simon, I got something I want to tell you. And he's like, all right, well, go ahead. Teacher, tell me. What, what, maybe he's going to compliment me. Maybe he's going to tell me how much he likes my dinner party. I don't know. But instead, Jesus tells him, this parable. And he says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other, but neither could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And then Jesus says, that's right. And then he turned because remember, the woman's behind him. Jesus hadn't mentioned the woman yet. He just knows that Simon's thinking about this woman. And he turns to the woman and he even says to Simon, look at this woman. You look at this woman. He said, you've been thinking about her. You've been having these thoughts about her. Look at her. And then he gave three comparisons about what happened when he entered. He said, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. She's been washing them with her tears and drying them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, which th that was customary as well. If you had a guest in your house, greet them with a kiss right on the top of the head. It was a sign of honor and, and respect and, and receiving them into your home. He said, you didn't greet me with a kiss yet and stop kissing my feet. He said, you neglected me the courtesy of anointing my head with oil Again, out of respect, value, you're, you're special. He said, you didn't do that. She's anointed me, my feet, with this valuable perfume. And there's so much symbolism in this section here. Her, her washing his feet, her taking her hair down and drying the, the tears with her hair. And then, then her, her perfume, even. So many things that you can go, oh, that's really cool symbolism 
Now they would usually keep that perfume as a, as a wedding dowry. Well, she was likely a prostitute of the city, you know, not in line for marriage, but, but she took this almost, I'm giving myself to the Savior. My life belongs to you now. Everything that I have that's valuable, I'm turning over to you. So there's so much symbolism here, but Jesus is basically saying to Simon, you invited me here, but she is the one that has shown me great love. She is the one who has received me. And then he tells him why in verse 47, he says, I tell you her sins and they are many. So what did Simon say? He said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. He knew who was touching him. He said, I tell you her sins and they are many have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. So again, he says her sins, and, and we don't know if they had interacted before this, right? Maybe they had. Maybe Jesus had already talked with her. Maybe she had already heard the good news of the kingdom. It seems likely because she showed up ready with her perfume and she's just bawling about the goodness of God, that it would be extended to her, that God's grace and mercy would be extended to her. And then he says her sins and they are many have been forgiven. So she has shown much love. She wasn't forgiven because she came in crying and cleaned his feet. He went like, you clean my feet. Good job. I'm going to forgive you. He said, she has been forgiven. So because of that, as fruit of that, she has shown me great love. So what she had shown wasn't the cost of forgiveness, but was instead the fruit of forgiveness. And then he finishes out in verse 48. He, then he said to the woman in front of everyone, your sins are forgiven, your slate wiped clean. Who you were, that's not who you are anymore. And it says the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man who goes about forgiving sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Your belief that I'm the savior, that I came with the kingdom that I said I came with has saved you. Go in peace, not under wrath. Because remember, sin puts us as enemies with God, subject to his wrath. And Jesus says, go in peace. You don't have a fight with God anymore. And I'm speaking over that you don't have a fight with these people anymore either over who you used to be. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Now, what are some of the things that we can learn from this account, this story? Number one, for me, was that Pharisees can become enemies of conversion. The Pharisees lived with such a heightened self-righteousness. They thought that they were good because they did good. And it caused them to look down on others because they didn't find their righteousness in Christ Jesus like we do. They found their righteousness in what they did. I observe the laws. I do the right thing. They don't do the right thing. So that puts a gap between me and them and I can look down on them. Well, it's hard to woo somebody to your cause, to your belief when you're looking down on them, isn't it? So they, they, they would become enemies of conversion. Self-righteousness will keep unrighteousness away. 
Simon obviously didn't know the gospel that Jesus was preaching. He didn't know the work that Jesus was going to accomplish. If he did, he didn't believe it. Because if we believe the gospel, we'll see hope in the unrighteous if they come to Jesus. We'll see hope for them that are lost, wayward, whose sins are many. We'll see hope for them because the gospel saves, delivers, and transforms sinners. Christ came and died for the ungodly. The gospel transforms sinners. And if we forget that, we'll hurt people. Because he'll woo them in. The Spirit will begin to work on their hearts and draw them in. And they'll show up with all they can show up with, their many sins. That's all the unrighteous can bring when they come to Jesus is their many sins, their, their reputations of wickedness. That's what they're going to show up with. And if they show up and it's just Simon, it's not going to go well. That's why she didn't come to see Simon. She didn't come to see the Pharisee to be cleansed. She knew that the Savior of the world had walked down the road and was reclined at the table. She came to see him. So in our life, how do we keep from becoming like the Pharisee? How do we keep from becoming like Simon and being an enemy to people's conversion? How do we keep from becoming a stumbling block to somebody and start becoming a stair step to bring them one step closer to Jesus? Well, the first step, I believe, is what Jesus said in the parable. He said there was a man who loaned money to two people, 500 silver to one and 50 silver to the other. It said neither one of them could repay. And so he kindly forgave them both who loved the man more, who loved the forgiver more after that. Who do you suppose? And Simon says, well, the 500. And Jesus says, yep, that's right. This woman is a 500 person. This woman is a 500 person in the story, Simon. But there's a question after that that he doesn't answer out loud. And that question is, what's Simon? What is Simon? Is he a 50 person or is he a 500 person? Jesus' following statement, the she has done this and this and this, and you didn't do this, you didn't love me, you, you didn't receive me, would lead us to believe that Simon thinks that he's a 50 person or better, right? The way that he looked down on her, he must think he's a 50 person or better. Now, is Jesus saying that some people need to be forgiven only a little bit and others need to be forgiven a whole lot? I don't believe that's what he's saying. I believe that he's telling us that how we think about our sin and his forgiveness matters. That what we think about our sin and his forgiveness matters. So then the question for us is, am I a 50 person or am I a 500 person in the parable? Who am I? Am I a person that was forgiven 50 which hey, is pretty good, right? Or am I a person that's been forgiven 500? Because obviously our love for the forgiver hinges on that. Our relationship with him and its effect on our actions because 
Her love for him, based on what she had been forgiven, drove her actions. What Jesus implied is that Simon's scope of his need for forgiveness limited his actions toward Jesus. Our love for the forgiver and its effect on our actions is the difference that it makes. Because again, it affected her actions and it affected Simon's. So the question for us, the second to the last question is, how much have we been forgiven? How much have we been forgiven? When we think about it, how much have we been forgiven in comparison to anybody else? Are we a 50 person or a 500 person? And then the final question is, is anybody not a 500 person? When it comes down to it, aren't we all 500 people? Because again, I don't believe he's telling us that there's different classifications like, oh, I had to pay 50 to get you, but I had to pay 500 to get them out of hock. I don't believe that. I believe he's saying that the measurement is in our mind. And that if we really get down to it, we're all 500 people. We're all 500 people. And if we live that way to know that we've been for, just like her, he said, her sins and they are many. Am I putting my name in there to say and Stephen's sin and they are many have been forgiven. See, we don't always realize that. We don't always recognize that, especially if we've been in the kingdom for a little while, we can get used to being less a sinner than we used to be. And we can forget that we wouldn't be where we are without the fullness of his forgiveness. That I'm still a 500 person. And if Simon had realized that he was a 500 person too, then when this lady showed up at the table and started weeping at the feet of Jesus, he wouldn't have said, what is this hooker doing here? And why does he not realize that that's what she is? He would say, the hooker's here. She's going to meet Jesus today. Because when you know that you're a 500 person and he brought you out of what you were in and brought you to where you are right now, you got hope for everybody. Hey, I was a 500 person. You're a 500 person. He saved me. He said there's no differentiation. He's coming for you. And I can believe that and I can celebrate it instead of me just going, oh, God, have you really checked the price on this one? Simon didn't have any hope of her being made righteous. He saw her as a lost cause. He saw her as damaged goods. She, she won't ever be like me. He, does he not even know who this is? But if Simon had realized that he was a 500 person. He would have rejoiced at her conversion. Think about what Jesus said. We talked about it just a few weeks ago when we talked about love your enemies. One of the reasons it's important for us to love our enemies is because he might go get them and make them your brother and sister. And can you picture that? Can your faith see that? That he would take them and change them so significantly that they're no longer your enemy or the enemy of the cross, the enemy of the Savior in their sin, but that he would make them your brother and sister. How awkward is it going to be if you're not loving your enemy and then he makes them your brother and sister? 
right? It's like, oh yeah, yeah. You remember them? It's your brother now. Then you got some stuff to work through. I love that she didn't mind having that whole room know that she was a 500 person. Didn't bother her at all. Why? Because she had found Jesus. She had found him. She's like, I already know what y'all think about me. I do not care anymore. I'm going to get here at the feet of Jesus. And she was just weeping in that, covering his feet with her tears, drying them with her hair, anointing his feet with perfume. She didn't care if the whole room knew that she was a 500 person because she wasn't going to be one anymore because the Savior of the world had walked down her road and welcomed her into the kingdom. He forgave her of her sins. And again, it says, and they were many. He came to show us our sin and then to save us out of it. For us to realize that we're all 500 people starting this game out. There's not different measurements there. Outside of Christ, we're all 500. The problem is we can live like we're just a 50. We're going to hurt people if we're a 500, but we live like, yeah, you know, I'm a 50. He was glad. I was a good deal. He was glad to get me because I didn't cost as much as you. We don't say that, right? But look how we can measure things the way that Simon did. So easily we can measure things the way Simon did and we can go, God, I don't know. I don't know if you, you, you can cover that one. But when I know he covered me, and my sins were many. Paul said, of the sinners, I'm the chief. The chief executive officer, the chief operating, he was the chief sending officer. He said, I put my stuff up against anybody and he came and got me. And look what it did for him. To re recognize I'm a 500 person. And yet, he saved me. He forgave me. He transformed me. He changed my name. And he was motivated for the rest of his life to share that with others. Because he said, if I was on the table as redeemable, all y'all's on the table. Amen. Everybody is a 500. But sometimes we love like we're a 50. And it's not thinking badly about ourselves. Not just keep kidding. I'm such a sinner. I'm so awful. I'm so bad. It's remembering what I was and where he's taken me from. It's not, oh, Stephen was so bad. It's God is just that good. He's got that much power and ability so nobody is off the table for him. And when we live like that, we can love our enemies because we know, hey, he can turn their heart. Our faith can see he can turn their heart because I've seen him turn too many. I've seen him turn too many to know that anybody, nobody is without it is outside of his reach. He can go get them if they'll just believe. Amen. And then if I've loved them like I was a 500, when they come into the house, the relationship's going to have a lot less to work through. Amen. He is good. Is there anybody who's not a 500? Let's pray. Then we'll get ready to sing together. Andrew, if you want to go ahead and come up. Father, thank you. Thank you for seeing in black and white on the page with beautiful red thrown in that you forgive sinners of which we are and have been 
Father, I thank you that we'll always remember that you didn't come and get just the 50s. We were all 500s. We were all max sinners. That's how we were when we were born here. Our very breath rebellion against you. And you came anyway. And our sins, and they were many, you've forgiven. And Lord, I thank you for the love that that generates in our heart towards you, the forgiver. And Father, it also directs us out to love others the way that you've loved us, to forgive others the way that you've forgiven us, and to have faith big enough to see that if you brought me in, you can bring anybody in. Father, I thank you for faith to see that. We want faith to believe in miracles. God, there's no bigger miracle than seeing a life completely changed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your dear son that starts now and lasts for forever. I thank you, Lord, that we'll have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I thank you that you bring the power to the situation that we don't have to do it. We don't have to figure out how you're going to do it. But we just love. We just love. I thank you that you're going to take enemies and turn them into brothers and sisters and we'll be able to rejoice in Jesus' name. Lord, as we get ready to go from here today, I thank you that we go in peace and unity with one another. Lord, protect your people. Keep us safe. Lord, relieve us from this virus. I thank you, Lord, that hearts across our country are going to come to repentance and turn to you. Lord, we're coming to the end of all of our abilities. And we see that in, in the rage and the hunger that demonstrates itself. We're coming to the end of what we can do in our hope and human structures. Lord, there is no one but you that can save us. There's none but you that can hold us up. There's none but you that can deliver us. And I thank you, Lord, that we'll look to you. We'll look to you, the author of this thing, to be the finisher of this thing, our life, this world, that our hope is in you. And Father, I thank you that you're reviving your church to love like a bunch of saved 500s, to go out and do good like a bunch of saved 500s. Lord, that we'll live like those that have been forgiven of a debt and not just given more time to pay it. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray for those that aren't able to be here with us this morning. Lord, I know you're with them right where you are, right where they are. You're present with whatever they need. Lord, I thank you for those that need healing and strength in their bodies that you bring it now. That the spirit on the inside of them would sustain them in physical weakness. I thank you, Lord God, that muscles are being knit back together supernaturally so that pain can cease and productivity and daily life can return. Lord, those that have procedures coming up, I thank you that you continue to work favor on their behalf. I thank you that your grace is sufficient for them. You're all that they need. And I thank you, Lord, that everything will be well with them every step of the way. Lord, we thank you for all the grace that you've given us with doctors and medicines and things like that. Lord, we're grateful for that. It's a grace in our life, but we never put that above you. We trust you. You're the author and the finisher of our faith. And I thank you, Lord God, that you lead them right through that. As we start this week out, it'll be with the mindset that we have a Father God in heaven that we have a relationship with.
who's cut covenant with us, who we share a bloodline with now, and we'll know that you're in this with us, and that you'll never leave us or forsake us, but that you're with us wherever we go. And God, I thank you that as the light shines, you're drawing those out of darkness. As wisdom goes forth, you're converting fools to the wisdom of our God, and you're turning the hearts of rebels in the name of Jesus. I thank you that we get to see it, celebrate it, and be a part of it. In Jesus' name.